Hello, and welcome to episode 50 of Pulp Today. 50th episode. No balloon drop, though. I thought those things just kind of happened. Uh, having a white Russian today. Uh, my wife often says, you know, you, you don't actually have to drink. You could do the Dean Martin thing and drink out of a, you know, put some ginger ale in there or something. But it's like, I would know. You wouldn't know. I would know. Today we're going to uh, talk about a book of my dad's called There Is Something About a Dame. A dumb title. I don't know what... I'm sure there was an original title that has very much the sound of a publisher title. Uh, this is from... What year is this? Huh. No, no, pub, no publication date on it. Oh, there we go. 1963. This is written, it's a bit of a love letter to Dad's post-war time in Manhattan, hanging out uh, around Broadway and getting to know a lot of Broadway characters. It's also a satire of, not a satire, but uh, Dad was frequently compared to Mickey Spillane. And there are very surfacey things in common. They're both writing hard-boiled private eye novels. But Ed Noon is a soft-hearted humanitarian, and uh, Mike Hammer, Mickey Spillane's detective, is a brutal psychopath, <laughs> really. So one of these bugged dad when people would make that comparison. So in this novel, uh, the villain is essentially Mike Hammer, a, private, a brutal private detective named Vince Devlin. In keeping with the style of his uh, books... Uh, this one, the nutty plot, is about a missing Shakespeare play that uh, a hammy British stage actor, who may or may not be based on Olivier, is uh, obsessed with and chasing down. And as I've talked about before, Dad always listed the dramatis personae at the beginning, the cast of characters. And in this one, it's according to Shakespeare plays. So, Ed Noon, Twelfth Night, Memo Morgan... Much Ado About Nothing, Sir Stuart St. James, Hamlet, Savannah Gage, The Taming of the Shrew, Mike Monks, A Comedy of Errors, Devlin, Coriolanus, Linda Gates, A Midsummer Night's Dream, The Voice, Romeo and Juliet, Arthur Zwick, The Merchant of Venice, Sanderson James T., All's Well That Ends Well, and some of them get fast curtains. The book is dedicated to one of Dad's old New York buddies named uh, William Robert Gould of the Times Square Table, the Agreeable Restaurant, Gary Cooperdom, and all manner of pleasant things. I met Bill, Bill a few times. He's a very, very funny, uh, very charming, very interesting guy. Uh, he came out to the house in Jersey. On uh, the, the 20th of January, 1984, Dad sent me back to my second semester at Bard College with this book. David, brush up your Shakespeare. If we're done when tis done, love Big Avo. And a bunch of X's, of course. Memo Morgan, the character name, is also based on uh, William James DiPrato, an actor pal of uh, Dad's. The, the section I want to read, it's such a private detective cliche. There's always the scene where uh, the hero is knocked unconscious and wakes up 
in a bad situation. Dad had Ed Noon uh, knocked unconscious hundreds of times. It happened to him at least once a book. And sometime after he wrote this one, he started reading up on uh, concussions and what actually happens to you if you are literally knocked unconscious. And he decided from then on in that a variety of knockout drops and sleeping gas and other things would be used to render Ed Noon unconscious going forward because you don't really live very long if you are frequently concussed um, with gun butts and things like that. Anyway, I picked this section because it is a confrontation with the Mike Hammer analog, Vince Devlin. And it also starts off in a kind of uh, surreal, impressionistic side. And of course, also a thing that Dad loved to do, each chapter begins with a Shakespeare quote or reference. So this one is, To sleep, perchance to dream, 19. Machine gun, machine guns. Who's got the machine guns? I've got one right here, Mr. Noon. Here it is, Edward. Hold still, silly Eddie, while I blow your head off. Tack, 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 brrr. Quick sight gag. Comedian comes out on stage, smiling. Hi, folks. This'll kill you. Produces a machine gun from behind his back and riddles the audience. The place dies laughing. My head hurt. It was a boiler factory with a thousand trip hammers pounding like 90. A music store with all the players going round and round. Five o'clock time and a construction job. The head shall be filled with music. Kleine Nacht music. All hit parade numbers. Oh, how they hit. I tried to forget about my head and concentrated on my eyes. Brown eyes. Bloodshot eyes. You don't sleep enough, Ed. Want to wear yourself out? Was that Monks talking or the actor's girlfriend or who? Clouds of smoke and confusion rolled in and memory trains rode by like the steamliner going home. Somebody had hit me in the head and I was unraveling slower than ever. My head still hurt, but I got my eyes open by putting one foot on each lid and prying up towards the sky. The effort cost me in pain, but I got the lids separated like half shells. I opened my eyes. No ceiling mirror this time. No soft bedroom with frills. No, that wasn't right either. Savannah Gage was not the frilly type. I blinked and tried to adjust my vision to new light. Well, 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 a thin pipsqueak voice said. The boy detective is sitting up and taking notice. Before I could attempt to identify the pipsqueak, a solid hand connected with my face and left me with more memories. That really got my eyes open. The monster was sitting across from me, his solid bulk looking like it was growing off the end of his cheap desk. I saw the same ruler-thin nose, the fleshy tan jaws, and the sneering arc of the lower lip. The brown eyes surrounded by marshmallow whites mocked me again. Only it wasn't the monster, of course, just V. Devlin, private eye, have gun, will shoot. I could learn to hate you without even trying, I said. He hit me again. He was fast. I didn't even have to turn the other cheek. He picked it out all by himself. Where did they go, you bastard? He snarled. Lip from you I'm not going to take. I cursed around some warm red fluid that bubbled at one corner of my mouth. He wasn't fooling, and until I got my bearings, I'd better be polite. Fair question, Vince old sock. Where did who go? He wanted to hit me again, but he didn't. He eyed me quietly, and with the mocking expression on his face, didn't go away. Which gave me time to realize that we were still in the ratty office of V. Devlin, that the shades were drawn, that I was tied to the client's chair and that the lone bulb of the hooded lamp on the desk was trained on my face. Memories are made of this, shades of police headquarters. 
I also remembered the lump on my head and the missing team of Linda Gates' secretary and Sir Stuart St. James' actor. I tried to think, but the smog in my brain was worse than Los Angeles. Devlin sighed. A human sound that just didn't fit him. Look, Noon, you took a bump on the noggin. I got here a little while ago and found you on the floor. The lights were off and the door was locked. I left a dame here who isn't here now. She wouldn't take off on her own without leaving a message. I also found a cigarette stub in the ashtray. Players. I don't smoke them, but I can think of a limey bastard who does. I'm sitting on a big one, Eddie boy, and I can't afford a mess up. I don't have to bluff you, right? I could carve you into french fries without thinking twice. So suppose you talk like I asked you. Otherwise, you're hurting, baby. Hurting bad. I smiled in spite of my smashed lip and the painful tug of some makeshift clothesline that pinned me to the client's chair. You're a deal, Vince. I came here and kept your darling Linda company until Sir Stuart showed up. It seems Linda was waiting to hear from you. I know you heisted Memo Morgan from sickbay today. I'd like to know why, but you obviously aren't going to tell me. I'm afraid Sir Stuart was a little more impatient than I am. I get the idea he conked me and dragged your fair lady off to point out the hiding place to him. He's hot for Shakespeare, or haven't you heard? The information had a surprising effect on Devlin. He flew off the desk corner and walked around to his chair, cursing and kicking things all away. He seemed to forget about me in his wrath. For a second, I had the notion he didn't remember I was in the room. I tried my bonds, experimentally. Inwardly, I groaned. I was tied up better than Thanksgiving turkey. Talk was all the weapon I had left. He hadn't gagged me. I started to whistle. I whistled taps. It wasn't much of a noise, but it served my purpose. Devlin stopped cursing, remembered me, and surprised twisted cruel face out of shape. What the hell is that for? he said quietly. He could have been the voice in the alley with the garbage pail cover, except for the grotesque adolescence of his pipsqueak throat. I'd like to know what your next move is, I said. Do you leave me here, or do I get the full treatment? And please tell me just what this is all about. Do you believe in Shakespeare? Is there a missing manuscript? And above all, I would like to know why Savannah Gage hired you. V. Devlin, private investigations, looked at me. His eyes were colder than a river in winter. He looked at me long and hard. I tried to read his face, but couldn't. He must have been a great poker player. I'd never know what he was holding. Suddenly, without a murmur, he came back around the desk and walked toward my chair. He stopped just short of me. I braced myself because he was a hatchet man, the perfect executioner, and if it was coming now, I didn't have a prayer. A lump welled up in my throat that wouldn't go away with swallowing. I could feel my muscles start to panic, try to crawl all over my body, but I made them stop. You're sweating, he said without expression. Wouldn't you, if you were me? It was all I had left. I think I'll leave it there. That is a uh, classic private eye scene, a confrontation between Ed Noon and a Mike Hammer pastiche. Um, interestingly enough, Dad had a funny relationship with uh, Spillane in the real world. He was a fan of Spillane's early work. He was critical of his later work, even in some cases accusing him of either phoning it in or possibly uh, farming out some of his later novels. And I'll say this for Mickey, he absolutely did not hold that against my father. He was a, he was very friendly towards him and very warm uh, for the entire time that they knew each other, which was until the end of uh, Dad's life. Anyway, that's it for this week. A little hard-boiled fiction for you. There is something about a dame, like 
32 or three of my father's novels is available for download from Amazon as an ebook. I'll put the link in the comments on YouTube if you want to go over there and take a look. But until then, thanks for joining me and see you next week. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.